Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. And today, delighted to be joined by Scott Marshall. Scott has worked in the financial services sector for over 15 years, has extensive experience in property lending, development finance and bridging loans. The founder or managing director of Roma Finance and as an expert in specialist lending, Scott established Roma Finance in 2008, reinventing and simplifying the bridging process to materially reduce completion times to less than a third of the industry standard. Scott's vision for Roma Finance is to put customers at the centre of the process and increase efficiencies to benefit all involved parties, ultimately helping customers create wealth for themselves and their families. Uh, Scott, uh, thank you very much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Lovely to be here, Robert. Before we just um, jump into Roma Finance, uh, obviously we just touched upon there why you created that in the first place, but give us a little bit a bit more of a deep dive into your background before creating Roma Finance in 2008. Yeah, um, I joined the uh, financial services industry um, in 2000, um, originally working in corporate finance for a firm called Arthur Anderson, um, left Arthur Anderson um, when uh, it was sold to uh, the Lewis and Young in the UK, um, following the well publicised issues that it had following uh, Enron. Um, and I eventually ended up working for a one of the largest independent subprime lenders um, back in 2003. Um, worked my way up um, from uh, BDM to underwriter to uh, senior underwriter, head of underwriting, credit and risk director, um, and left that company after having been made redundant um, at the end, at the, in the credit crunch um, at the end of 2008. Um, and I set up Roma Finance uh, initially as a subcontract underwriting service to other lenders in the bridging and development space, given that I had some you know, a reasonable amount of experience and held a fairly senior position in the industry. So I set up Roma originally as a subcontract underwriting service for uh, other lenders. Um, that went well, um, but as those other businesses grew and they recruited their own underwriting teams, <laughs> so the work for me dried up. And I was like, well, what do I do with Roma Finance? Um, the business was born out of, um, or the name anyway was, um, my late grandparents were called Rose and Max, so that's where Roma comes from. Um, and I didn't want to let their legacy die. And I wanted to keep my um, my foot in the door, my finger in the industry. I wanted to, um, you know, obviously gain an awful lot of skills. So um, I started looking to see how I might be able to lend myself. Um, I took, uh, I found, um, uh, how I started was actually quite amusing. I would um, phone lots of my old broker contacts, um, from having spent so long in the industry. Um, and most of the people, uh, brokers would say to me, uh, tell me to um, have sex and travel in a very polite way. Um, but then one day I got a deal. And a deal was, um, actually it wasn't a bridging loan, it was a five-year secured loan. It was a property in Hendon in London. It was worth about £700,000. The guy had a £380,000 mortgage with uh, one of the main high street lenders. They were um, messing him around. He had an invoice discounting line. He couldn't pay his suppliers. He wanted to uh, have a website for his um, business. Um, and he was looking for a five-year secured loan. Um, at the time, the only option that he had was my previous employer. But I wasn't going to lose a deal to them. Um, so I set about trying to... Um, he wanted 75 grand over five years. Their cheapest rate at the time was 11.9% over seven years. They couldn't do a five-year term. 11.9% over over uh, seven years. Um, so I said to the customer, I will do you a loan at 11% over five years. 
And he said, okay, where do I sign? So um, I, obviously I knew a lot of solicitors from the work that I'd done in the past. I knew valuers, I knew how to uh, get consent and a capping letter for the existing first charge. Um, and um, I took equity out of my own home um, to do part of that 75,000. I didn't have the full amount myself. High net worth backed me. Um, and that was the first loan that we ever did. That loan completed. Mm -hmm. Um, on the 15th of December uh, 2010 and Roma Finance was uh, a lender um, and that's how we started obviously we had all the credit commissions and, and what have you needed to have at the time um, we did then the second deal in March 2011 the third deal in uh, April the fourth deal in May um, and Robert I could tell you that uh, the color of the kitchen the um, how many taps each uh, were in the bathroom I could tell you everything about each one of those deals in the early years of the business. Um, but um, essentially we ran it as a, almost a hobby type business, if you can call it a hobby, between 2010 um, and two, end of 2013. We took on our first member of staff um, in January 2014 um, and started taking it seriously from about October 2014. Uh, we secured our first funding line um, from um, RBS, which is now obviously rebranded as NatWest. Um, so but we got, managed to secure that. Um, literally, that completed two weeks after the Brexit referendum um, in July 2016. And the timing of that could not have been any better uh, because um, as lots of people at that time were retreating from the market, um, we had a load of money to go and put into the market. And that gave us a real opportunity to get traction. Um, we secured our second funding line in July 2017. Our third in December 2017, our fourth in April 2018, and where we are today um, in September 2020 is that we've got eight different funding lines. Um, and that allows us to lend on a, a, a variety of different um, property uh, types, um, a variety of different deal types, um, and we can do everything from a, a ground up uh, development project through to a, a simple, what, might, what we might call a simple uh, tart and turn or fix and flip, um, through to five-year buy-to-lets. Um, and one of the things that we've pioneered, and we've pioneered, pioneered an awful lot of stuff uh, in this market, but one of the things that we've pioneered um, is that what we call the customer for life proposition, where we back um, small-time property professionals, um, which often tend to be either professional property traders, um, or uh, builders, joiners, sparking electricians, um, uh, plumbers, um, people that know what they're doing with property. Um, and they go from property to property to property, project to project to project, um, tending to specialize in sub-million pound deals. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we don't do the bigger stuff, because we do. Um, and in fact, last week, we completed our... Um, so no, it wasn't last week, it was 10 days ago, Friday the 28th of uh, August, we completed our biggest ever transaction at 2.85 million. That was our biggest ever deal. But the typically deals tend to be, for us, uh, sub-million pounds, where we've got somebody who themselves is hands-on on a project, um, and we, for us, it's all about the person. Now, our mantra is um, good customer, good project, um, bad customer, bad project. And so um, if we look at a customer, a good customer um, is able to create value out of a bad property, whereas a bad customer can destroy value in a good property. 
and therefore get the customer right um, and the transaction looks after itself because in theory um, you should never need to repossess if you get the customer right okay um, and from the period from um, if we look at our history from the from the period uh, from December 2010 to um, um, early this year when we got the stats we'd only ever had three defaults um, and all those three defaults um, I think only one of those resulted in a repossession um, and actually we allowed the customer to sell the property themselves to recover um, their and our money. Um, so, um, you know, we've, we've got a very strong history, a good history of being able to do the right thing in the right way for decent customers. And, you know, that's something that we're proud of um, and something that, um, you know, even throughout the COVID period, we found amazing ways in which we could support our customers through what's obviously been a very challenging time for many, many people. Um, and if we look at what's happening now in the market, you know, are we coming out of um, COVID um, economically? Well, there's a, potentially a false bubble that's being created at the moment. There's an awful lot of transactions that are taking place because of low interest rates, a huge amount of liquidity um, from the you know, quantitative easing from the government and, and furloughing. Um, will that continue? What's gonna be, where are we gonna be in six months time? I don't know. Um, but what I can say um, is that from a lending point of view, um, we're seeing some really, really great opportunities at the moment to back even better customers um, doing, some, doing some, fantastic, um, some fantastic projects. Um, and so from a business point of view, we've had, without doubt, the busiest three months we've ever had in our history. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and on our buy-to-let, uh, product. Uh, you know, I'm delighted to say that we've got we've not got any customers with any arrears whatsoever. Very impressive. It's very very impressive, and that all goes back to your mantra of good customer, good project. So it's really getting to know the the customer, their background, their experience, what they're planning to do, and you know trying to work with them as intricately as possible. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, and um, you know what you've said there is actually how we underwrite uh, a transaction. So the vast majority of the bridging um, industry, they look at um, a project as being, what's the property worth? How much do they want to borrow? What's the LTV? Oh, and tell me a bit about the person. Okay. Whereas for us, we, we turn that on its head completely. And the way that we underwrite a deal is borrower. Let's understand the person. Let's understand their background. What have they done before? If they haven't done it before, what are the chances of them being successful at what they're trying to do? Once we've understood the borrower, then we look at their story. So how have they come across the opportunity? What are they trying to do? Do they have the experience, knowledge, or the team um, that's behind them to make this a success? Um, then once we've got comfortable with a person, we've got um, and the story, uh, we've checked out the credibility of the story, only then do we consider the, the property. Okay? And what we often find is that we find that there is a problem with the property. The problem could be a planning issue, it could be a, a, a condition issue, it could be um, there's an issue with access, or Japanese, not, whatever the issue, there's a problem with the property. And then when we start to talk to the customer about those you know, the things that we found, we often find those problems are the reason why they're doing the deal in the first place. And therefore, their, you know, with their background, their knowledge, their team, power team that's behind them, um, they're able to, um, they're going into the project with their eyes open to fix that problem. Um, and therefore, the value of the property will increase from where it is now to where it could be. And they'll be able to get the exit for the loan. 
So we underwrite in a very different way from the market. We're not um, property pawnbrokers. We're the opposite of a property pawnbroker. What we're trying to do is find customers that can actually add value to property and therefore can create wealth for themselves and their families. And we want to back those customers on their property journey um, and see them be successful. The more successful our customers are, the more they'll come back to us for repeat uh, as repeat customers, um, and the more the word will spread about how we, as a business, do the right thing for the right customers in the right way. I think that's a great approach to have. Uh, you know, people that are going to be listening to this got all sorts of different backgrounds. You can have some people that are buy to let people, you know, commercial conversions, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of people are, are, are Tom Scott or you know, whether they're listening to podcasts, reading books or, or so forth, if you go down the buy-to-let route or a block of flats, for example, that find a property, try and find where you can add value, whether that be, you know, splitting the title or, you know, renovation, et cetera, et cetera, and then speak to your mortgage broker, then the mortgage broker will go off to, I don't know, precise the mortgage works or so forth. I can see you sort of nodding your head and going, shaking your head at the same time. You think you know where this is going. So if you're using the mortgage broker, they're going to go off to sort of companies like that. What... I mean, you've explained what makes Roma Finance stand out, but would a broker come to Roma Finance or is it the impetus on the person to pick up the phone, have a chat with you and say, look, I've got this and explore. How, I mean, how does that process work? Because people rely on brokers to do most of the work for them. Yeah, um, so a, again, going back to the original mantra that I was saying, good customer, good project, um, it, you know, the same applies to a broker. Um, so, you know, there are lots and lots of very, very good brokers in the market. Um, and, you know, one of the roughly... 85% of the business that we write comes through the intermediary channel. Um, and so we've built and got fantastic relationships with um, lots and lots of uh, brokers, introduced intermediaries, um, packages, networks, um, where you know they will have us on their radar as being a lender that they want to work with. Um, and so um, absolutely, a you know, I recognize that we may not be the right solution for every customer in every situation. Totally get that. Um, we are not the cheapest. Um, there are lenders that will be much cheaper than us. Um, not much, but on the bridging side, because we're, we're competitive, but there will be firms that will be cheaper than us. But it depends on what a customer is looking for. If a customer is purely looking for a transactional relationship where um, they, they, they want a loan, it has to be as cheap as possible, they're not interested in a relationship with their lender, um, it's all about price, we're not the lender for them. And the reason why I say that is because we make the extra effort. We make the effort to go and see and meet every single one of our customers to understand them, understand the project, so that we can buy into them, make sure the loan is structured appropriately for what they're trying to do. And what we often find is that when a deal is presented to us, when we, and again, we, this was um, probably much more so in the past than, than it is now because brokers have learned a lot more about how we work. Um, but when we first started, We'd go and meet a customer and we'd understand and we'd, we'd, we'd totally restructure a deal so that it worked better for the customer than how it was, excuse me, how it was originally presented to us by the introducer. So, um, you know, we build that reputation of actually if the loan can be structured properly and it fits the customer's needs, then the risk of it going wrong is far less. And so part of us meeting customers it adds value from the lender's point of view, but it also adds value from the customer's point of view because they know then that um, they've got the relationship. It's not just um, uh, a, 
um, a distant lender that's sat in an ivory tower making um, decisions which are cold and calculated. This is actually a firm that they can work with and build a relationship with. They know who um, is the, uh, the BDM that's handling their transaction. They know the underwriter that's handling their transaction. They can pick up the phone, they can speak to them. They can pick up the phone, speak to the person on the, uh, once the loan's complete on customer services, who will always try and find ways to help them um, to make the project a success. So, you know, it's very much, um, if it's transactional relationship only that a customer's looking for, then I accept that we may well not be the lender for somebody because they will generally tend to be price driven and only price driven and that's fine. But sometimes it's the difference between, um, you know, why would somebody buy a, a Dacia versus a Daimler? You know, both cars will get from A to B, uh, but one will be far more pleasurable than the other, okay? Um, in theory, I'm, I'm assuming that pleasure, means that you're, that pleasure is, is, is not the fact that it's cheapest, it's, it's that actually the enjoyment of, of, of driving the car. Um, you know, we like to think that we are the, the, the Daimler of um, the property finance industry because a customer enjoys the experience of working with us. That, that, that's fair enough. It actually reminds me of a bit off topic. I was uh, researching uh, whiskey barrels and uh, distilleries um, over the weekend, you know, spare time you know what else are you going to do and um you know looking at companies such as mccallan and, and downwell you know they both pride themselves on that experience not just the actual product itself but uh you know the way the bottle looks and the you know the embossment in the logo and all that sort of stuff so it's, i see a similarity although it's a completely different industry i see a similarity there and i know that uh, a bugbear for a lot of people uh, if they're dealing with regular yeah i say you know, your ivory tower people is that the process can take quite a long time but also note that your roma finance is record for a transaction complete five and a half hours tell us more about tell us more about the factors that contributed to, to that happening yeah well there is um that was a bit of a one-off i mean i i, I could um everything was you know ducks were all in a line um on, on that deal so the customer had a legal pack there was already a valuation that we knew that the value you could get readdressed they were ready to complete had been let down at the last minute by somebody else we stepped in and we um, did the deal in five and a half hours um, that isn't the norm um but it is true to say i mean the, the one that we completed um on the 28th of august for 2.85 million um that was turned around from start to finish i think in seven working days um, so, and that was from, from scratch. So that was no valuations, um, no legal work. It hadn't even been started. The legal work hadn't even been started. Okay. Um, so, you know, how have we done that? So the first one is that we have SLAs in place with our valuers. Okay. The valuer to be able to work with us, um, you know, obviously they can get volume in terms of the work that they do, um, but they've got to adhere to SLAs. Um, and, you know, all of our valuers have signed up to a five-day SLA. Um, if the valuer can't meet that five-day SLA, which does happen, um, it happened during COVID, understandably. It often happens around Christmas or uh, Easter, sometimes during um, summer holidays. Um, it's happened. We expect the valuer to tell us that they can't meet the five-day um, SLA. Um, and then what we will then do uh, is we will then go back to the customer and say, right, okay, we can't on this deal, Mr. Customer, we can't do five days. Um, the SLA, you know, our SLA to you, Mr. Customer, is seven days or 10 days, whatever we've been advised by the valuer. Um, and then the customer has the option of either staying with us or going somewhere else. If they want to go somewhere else, we totally understand. They get a full refund um, and they can go somewhere else. So we're managing everybody's expectations at the outset. But the real key thing that we've done um, is we, we were the, again, pioneers in the industry. We were the first lender where we 
used uh, insurance as a sword, not a shield. So lots of um, lenders have insurance in place that protects them if there's a problem on a transaction. But we, we actually said, well, what is insurance? And how can we use insurance to cut through the bureaucracy, to cut through the red tape, to simplify the whole legal process in order that we can speed up the transactions? And where we are now is that um, as long as a customer is not um, extending a property outwards or upwards um, and is not implementing a, a, a material planning consent other than an HMO, um, our lawyers only ask eight questions of the borrower's lawyer. Okay, and so because we only ask eight questions, that means um, and we give the customer a copy of the questions, we give the um, broker a copy of the questions, um, and that means that everyone knows that once these questions have been answered, um, then the loan can complete. And there's no, you know, lots and lots of firms, um, thanks very much indeed, we've had the valuation, the valuation's back in the uh, LTV works, and again, not interested in the customer, but the LTV works, um, what we'll do is we'll now go and instruct our lawyers. Right, okay, so what happens now? The, the customer will say, oh, well, our lawyer will be in touch with your lawyer. Okay, well, what are they going to ask? Uh, it depends on what, what the transaction is. Well, you know what the transaction is. What, the, what questions will the lawyer ask? Well, we can give predictability. We could say to you um, at the outset, Robert, okay, um, now we know what transaction you're doing. We know what's going to see. Again, this is why we meet the customer to understand the deal and to understand the transaction. Robert, um, these are the questions that the lawyer will ask you. If you can prepare and answer those questions in advance, then you can speed it up, make it even quicker, the transaction, because you can prep your lawyer to say, right, here's the answer to the questions the lender's lawyer is going to ask you, um, and that means that the, the, thing can, um, the transaction can complete far quicker. Um, and so we were the pioneers on using um, insurance as a sword to cut through the jargon on a deal compared to using it as a shield to protect them. I think that's a great idea. And uh, have, I mean, having been in and around this for four, four and a bit years, and of course, people have been around a lot longer. The thing that started to bug me over four and a half years is just this sort of, this sense of just it's just bureaucracy at every step. So I love, I love the fact that you've sort of taken that sword and gone, yeah, hang on a minute. Let's, let's try and cut that down as much as we can so we understand the frustrations, shall we say, that people are probably going to have with, again, your ivory tower people. So I'm assuming that your customers have taken very warmly to that because it's sped up the process, even, as you say, if you're not the, the cheapest. So there's, a, there's always a, a time versus money aspect to it. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we've, we've done other things as well. So... Again, we were, we were um, the first lender in the industry, in our industry, uh, to use open banking. Open banking materially um, improves um, the, uh, our ability to underwrite a transaction um, because we've got the data right in front of us on the dashboard. It materially um, improves the, the um, speed with which we can underwrite a deal because, again, we can analyse um, customers' bank statements like that. Um, but from a customer's point of view, it also materially improves their journey because A, obviously it's faster, um, but B, it's more secure from a GDPR point of view. We can't see all the customer's bank details for open banking. All we know is that the details have been verified, but on a bank statement, if you think about a bank statement, we've got the customer's name, full name, we've got their address, we've got um, their, um, their account number, their sort code, we've got everything that... that um, We've got full visibility on everything. 
okay? But on a, and sometimes customers, um, they, they may miss out individual sheets, or we can't see this, or we can't see that, or that's obscured, or that scan doesn't quite look right. So we've got to go back and ask for it again. Whereas on open banking, they click a link, they, it's, um, they click a link, um, they, they do this stuff on the um, uh, computer or their uh, mobile phone, they send it back, and instantaneously we can analyze um, and ask any questions that need to be asked. Um, but from a customer's point of view, GDPR compliant, um, and um, is a much faster transaction where they know the lender actually got less visibility um, on their personal sensitive stuff um, other than what they need to be able to assess the loan. So open banking has been a massive, another massive way in which we've um, speeded up transactions. And you know, during COVID, one of the things we found was we couldn't go out and meet customers face-to-face -face during COVID. So again, I think we are the first lender in the marketplace where we can actually use a customer's smartphone to read the chip on their passport. So a customer puts their passport against their smartphone and the smartphone actually reads the chip on the passport. Got to love technology. <laughs> verify. That's how we can verify the identity of a customer. And that's, all of that was done through, through COVID. Um, and again, I think that we are the only lender that's got that... Um, uh, could get to that level of detail. I mean, talking uh, briefly there about COVID and you know, sort of pioneering measures, and you know, looking looking to the future, um, I'm sure there's multiple things that you've got lined up. But is this something that you're able to sort of go into a little bit more depth about something that might be coming from Roma Finance to the market in due course? Yeah, we have um, over the past um, twelve months or so, a little bit more than twelve months. Um, we've been um, piloting um, a new proposition. We call it the customer for life proposition. And this is where we can um, take a customer with a bare piece of land. They can build something on it. So we provide them with development finance to build something on it. And um, once the property is wind and watertight, we can then move them from a more expensive development loan onto a less expensive bridging loan because our cost of funds dropped because we can move them from um, a line which is more expensive for, for us to uh, one of our funding lines which is cheaper for us. So the customer, we pass on that benefit to the customer. So we go from development loan to bridging loan. That saves the customer money. Um, and then once that project um, is then complete and they've got the first tenant, if, again, if they've got a, a refurb to rent strategy or build to rent strategy as opposed to a refurb to sell or, 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 or um, build to sell strategy, They've got a refer to rent strategy or build to, build to rent strategy. Um, once they've got the first tenant in the property and we've got completion certificates for the property, we can then um, top slice uh, them, their income from other income or other buy-to-lets that they've got, which means that they can move off an ex what's then a more expensive bridging loan onto a five-year buy-to-let. And that can be done in two, three days um, from bridge to term. Um, we use the same valuer um, that's seen the project all the way through from the ground up development all the way through to the uh, five-year buy-to-let. So they've got so the valuation risk is mitigated um, because the same value is involved all the way through. It's again, different valuers have got different opinions. Um, and because we already know the customer, um, on the first transaction, we, we have separate rep. Um, but once we're moving to the bridge to term, um, at that point, um, the same lawyer, we can dual rep. And the same lawyer can act for both us and the customer because um, it's a very simple transaction uh, to go from bridge to term. 
So we'll dual rep it, um, which means that the legal costs are reduced, the time frame is reduced, um, and again, the whole thing is insured. So, um, and then what, what happens is the customer then, because the customer's created value in the uh, property, on the term loan, they can, because obviously the value's increased, we can then, uh, they can then uh, extract the value that they've created in that property and use that cash to go again on the next project. And so that's why we call it customer for life, because they go from development loan to bridging loan to term loan. The term loan releases the equity they've created on the project to go again on the next project. Um, and, you know, if, we've, if they're happy with us and we're happy with them, they'll come back to us for the next loan. And so we're seeing a lot of repeat customers because they like um, they like that process. And in terms of new customers, do new customers, once they've done a project or deal with you, do they, is, is the feedback similar or do you have different feedback from new customers that might not be familiar with yourselves? Yeah, I, th I think that um, with any, with any, I, I, I think the question is, does a new customer find it more difficult to get a loan than an existing customer? Yeah, we can paraphrase it to that, mate. It's a lot clearer. <laughs> As I say, without doubt, um, a customer that we already know will find it a little bit easier to complete a loan than one we don't know, um, because we don't have to go through all the checks that we've, that we've done on the first transaction. Um, so the um, development loan to bridging loan can be done in days, um, and the bridging loan to term loan can be done in days. So, and then when they come back for the next development loan, again, it's a little bit easier. But we've refined the process to such an extent now that the customer journey should be good, irrespective of whether the customer is a new customer or an existing uh, new customer or existing customer. The only thing I would say is that an existing customer will benefit from being a corporate customer and will benefit, therefore, from um, even better savings than someone who hasn't borrowed from us before. Because we like to look after uh, our customers, because longevity is what you know the business is all yeah, about. Yeah, at the end of the day, you have to you know, protect yourself. As you say, you've got eight or nine different streams, but you know, part of that underwriting process, understanding your customer, you've got to sort of balance up that risk and reward, which is, of course, what the underwriters do. And, you know, taking the time to know people really does help in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott, in terms of um, where the market is, we actually spoke a little bit about this off-air. I know you've touched briefly on it. Uh, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball as such, from, uh, from both from a personal point of view and, and a business point of view, you've already touched upon the fact that Roma Finance is doing great at the moment, you know, various things coming out and about. But some people out there would be saying that there's quite a bit of a bubble that's being created that's going to burst. Some people are saying it's going to be horrific, you know, Armageddon, that's what I think. Uh, but some people are saying there might be a small correction in the market. Can you just touch more on your thoughts and what you see happening in the next 12 months? Yeah, with, with pleasure. So let me deal with the positives, first of all, that we're seeing, um, where I think that the risk of a, the market tanking is low. Okay, so um, number one, there is a huge amount of liquidity um, that's in the market that's being aided by the Bank of England's uh, quantitative easing scheme, um, which means there's lots and lots and lots of money that's around, um, and that money has to be deployed somewhere. Um, and property often is seen as a, as a solid way in which money can be deployed, um, and that tends to uh, prop, prop up um, property values. And we've seen um, quantitative easing, lots of it, um, over the past 12 years. Um, so, there's, again, there's, there's lots of liquidity. Um, the second thing is that we're in a period of, well, the lowest interest rates we've ever seen 
for 365 years at 0.1% the base rate at the moment. Um, and I can't see that with the risks to the economy in terms of um, both Brexit and COVID, that the Bank of England is going to be putting up interest rates anytime soon. So the fact that there's lots of liquidity and interest rates are low tends to support the fact that they want to um, they want transactions to take place. They want people to be borrowing money. They want people to be doing deals. Okay, so those are the positives. Um, on the the negative negatives, I think there's two negatives. I think the first one is the fact that we the furlough scheme will come to an end um, in October, and we are already starting to see lots and lots of companies um, lose staff. Okay, so 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 furlough coming to an end. People not having um, jobs, not having income, means that rent, rental payments or mortgage payments become more difficult for people that don't have the money. And so those people will have a period of um, maybe three, four, five months where they will start to look at their finances to see how realistic it is to get another job. And if they can't get another job, or the job pays them a lot less and therefore they can't afford the mortgage despite the low interest rates, they'll have to sell their properties. So we may well see that there's lots of properties that come on the market uh, in six months' time because of the end of the furlough scheme and companies losing um, losing tens of thousands of maybe, maybe even hundreds of thousands or millions of jobs. And um, so that's number one negative. Number two negative is that the money that's being pumped into the economy by the government, that money has to be repaid in some way, shape or form. Um, and there's two ways that that will happen. Um, either the, the government has to raise taxes um, or we have to go into um, an inflationary period where um, inflation causes asset values to rise um, and also devalues debt, which makes it more affordable. We see wages go up, go up as well. Um, and I think that there is a risk of um, inflation. If inflation does happen, um, then asset values will inevitably, well, they're likely to rise, not inevitably, but likely to rise. Um, and therefore, um, actually, the property market sorts itself out because there's a um, there's inflationary um, pressures. That being said, uh, if you look at affordability, if interest rates rise, and again, I'm arguing against myself a little bit here. If interest rates rise because, interest rates rise because inflation um, has gone up, and therefore, actually, people's affordability get, becomes less, and therefore, there's pressure on um, prices to come to, to come down. Um, the answer, Robert, is, is is that I'm trying to argue it both ways. I, I, I don't know. Um, what I can tell you is that from a business point of view, um, you know, we've always taken the view that we lend people money that are using our money to make money. Um, and therefore, there's wiggle room built into the deals that we that we write. Um, and um, are we seeing valuations? Have we seen valuations come off um, because of COVID? Yes, we have. Um, we have seen valuations come off. Um, valuations have come off um, for a, a variety of reasons. Um, but as a result of the pent-up demand, the, um, the, the, the amount of transactions that have taken place in um, July in particular, you know, valuers have been a little bit less cautious and we've seen value, values go up again. It's a very, very difficult one to to to, to call, and um, all all I can say is that we're in for interesting times. But what I will say, and this is my last word on it, um, and this probably will appeal to lots of 
your listeners, I'm sure, is that volatility creates opportunity. And what we have seen, what we have seen um, over the past few years is that anybody who's anybody thinks that they're a property developer. And there's been anybody who's anybody thinks they've been a lender. So there's been lots and lots of perhaps lots of transactions taking place that maybe aren't as good or as strong as they could have been. And maybe because of the quality of the deal, the quality of the customer, the price that's been paid, the quality of the lender, the under, quality of the underwriting, et cetera, et cetera. In a, and because we're going into a volatile market, which is going to create opportunity, actually, this is when people can make real money. Um, and so I know that we're in a little bit of a false bubble at the moment, but now is the time, I think, to be looking at property deals, because if you think about commercial, commercial, as an example, commercial is having a very tough time. But there's lots of other things that we can do with those commercial properties. Um, and lots of those commercial properties tend to be in prime areas where there's a need for housing. If you think about city centres, you know, will we go back to city centres being used in a way that they've been used in the past where it's, you know, lots and lots of office space and only office space. Well, no, that can be residential. Why can't that space be residential? And if that space is residential and everything is around them, people don't need cars and therefore people don't need parking. But there's lots of cafes and, and, and eat out spaces. And actually, what about older people? Older people, um, everything's around them and they can live in uh, town centres. They don't need cars either. So you can see that office space can be converted for to, to living where it's prime city centre or town centre locations that can be used not only to house young people, but to house old people as well. And so fast forward five years, 10 years, actually the, the, what's coming out of now could be tremendous opportunity to regenerate town centres without parking because people don't need parking because everything's on their doorstep. Just an example, how many people in central London have cars? Not many because they don't need a car. Everything's on their doorstep um, and the public transport is great. Well, we'll see that um, as we look to a greener future, public transport in other town centres will become um, will become better. There'll be much greener environments. Um, and I think that we will see that out of this uh, crisis that we've had over the past six months, there will be opportunity. And that's why I say that volatility creates opportunity. And those people that are smart will be starting to seek out those opportunities now. I completely agree. I think that's a great place to actually lead that conversation, Scott, with a nice positive note. There is always going to be opportunity no matter what stage we're at uh, in, in an economic cycle, in a property cycle. There's always going to be opportunities. So you know, thank you for sharing that. Just before we say goodbye, if people want to find out more about yourself or get in touch with Roma Finance to look to work for you, how do people do that? Um, there's a, well, we have a website, uh, number one, which is uh, www.romafinance.co.uk. Um, if they want to send through an inquiry to us, um, the email address is enquiries at romafinance.co.uk. Uh, the main office number uh, for the sales guys um, is 0161 817 7481. Um, and we are very happy to talk to anybody at any stage of their property journey, whether they are new and have the team around them, um, uh, they're new, they want to just talk to somebody, um, or, or they're experts. Um, we, we, we have a 
we support a range of customers in a range of different scenarios. And as always, for those listening, we will put those links in the show notes as well. Scott, uh, just a, a massive thank you for your time and for sharing your journey with Roma Finance, but also your insight into the future. So thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure to be here and talk to you. Many thanks.